so great to see you. I haven't been to Undone for a while, but it certainly made me come undone tonight. Thank you, team. Thank you so much. Lovely to see. Lovely to sing, lovely to worship, and to know that our God is the one we worship. Beautiful. We're in April. I can hardly believe that Christmas will be here soon. Well, Easter's gone. And that doesn't feel like a week ago. That feels like... So, sometimes I get a little bit overwhelmed with day after day, month after month, and uh, things go on. But this year, we've had some incredible series in our church services. We started with everyday faith. How does my everyday faith look like? What is it that keeps me close with God. And we heard some incredible stories and messages during that season. I think you then went into uh, Rebel Jesus. Is that right? Rebel Jesus. And you know what? I hope, I pray that you will continue to be a rebel like Jesus because then you will know revival. Yeah. Be a rebel Jesus. And we're starting a new series calling, called Romans. Reflecting, reflection, my life reflecting, reflecting with my thinking. And uh, I've been asked to speak the first one tonight, and it's called humility. You already know that. And, you know, I was thinking about today, and I think, oh, my goodness. You see, I have a very unwelcome friend that comes along, and it takes me a while to realize that this person, this thing, this somebody has started to speak into my life more powerfully than it should. And this unwelcome friend is called pride. Pride. Very unwelcome. And you know, sometimes it takes me a little while to really appreciate that it's captured my life again. And I love a definition that Steve gave in one of the last messages on Rebel Jesus about humility. He said, a humble person is someone who's seen God because seeing God shuts down pride. You've got that? Someone who's seen God. Seeing God shuts down pride. So when my unwelcome friend comes along and I suddenly get my uh, life being a little bit more about me, pity me, poor me, nobody loves me, you know, all that kind of thing, I can play the violin well then. It's about the only thing I can do is when I have that little pity party. And then I have to remember that I've been looking in the wrong direction. And I have to start focusing again and to say to myself, who and what am I listening to and what am I seeing in my life? So we've starting this series about living in the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, if you like, and it's taken from the latter part of Romans. And I invite you over these four weeks to listen well in the morning if you want a really good introduction to uh, Romans and to hear some of those big words explained 
listen in to the morning service from bed if you like or from the beach, whatever you do Sunday mornings. But listen, um, Ben gave a really good one this morning, uh, especially on some big words and I'm not even going to attempt to say them, but uh, he talked a lot about condemnation and our freedom that we have in Christ. And so when we come to the kingdom ethics, especially to chapter 12, which we will be speaking from in these next four weeks, the passage starts with a word that says, therefore. And you've probably heard this lots of times. When you see therefore, you ask the question, what on earth is it therefore? You got that? Because it's saying therefore. So something must have come before it, before you can get to therefore. So you've got to look back and think, well, why is it there? You see, for 11 chapters, Paul has been writing the most complicated stuff that's in the scriptures. Ben says it's one of his favorite books. For me, it's one of those books I get tangled up in. I read it, I reread it, I've even given lectures on it, but it captures my heart and my life. And it says to me, how much do you really understand? Keep at it, keep at it. So I've been working on Romans all year and uh, it's a heavy book. Make it your favorite book. Ben said this morning, read it at least once a year. I think I've read it about five times already this year. Ben, does that exempt me for the next five? Oh no, okay, it's not like that, is it? Because I need to stay there. I've got to find out what therefore is therefore. And Romans 12 says, look back and reflect with your mind what Paul is going to ask you to do in your life. Because the therefore before it is all about the power of God, which is able to give us this amazing, liberating, incredible life with our God, who says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who says that we are new creatures. It talks about us and God and sin and what Jesus has done. But that's not on my topic today. But I have to tell you why therefore is therefore. It really is a great series to start tonight after Easter because the therefore is there because of the Easter story. And in the light of the fact that we worship a God who sent Jesus to die on a cross and he's risen again is enough for us to take notice. So we reflect on the teachings of Romans by Paul. And then we come to the rest of Romans 12, verse 1, which says, give yourselves to Jesus. Present yourselves to Jesus as a living sacrifice. In other words, don't get worried about the words. It just means give yourself to Jesus. All of you. All of the time. Every day. Every moment. It's not enough to say, in 19... I can't even remember the year I came to the Lord. That's all right. <laughs> ah, but a long time ago, in last century, I gave my life to Jesus. I dedicated my life to Jesus. That is not enough. In the light of what I knew then, I gave myself totally to God. Unfortunately, I've learned a lot about myself and God since then, and he keeps inviting me to keep on giving myself to God, giving myself all of me 
all of the time to God, every day, every part of me, so that I can think like Jesus and act like Jesus. And that means I reflect on his teachings in my life. You see, people are attracted to Jesus through the way you share the good news about Jesus. That's a great story. And Jesus is attractive. But the best part of the good news is when people look at us and say, wow, you live it. I want a life like yours. And so the first thing we come to in this next verse, in verse 3, is what I think is the summary of all the teachings of what it means to think like Jesus and act like Jesus. It is the summary of how to live well as a follower of Jesus. And we're going to have some different topics. I think Winnie's on next week. Love, is that right? But listen to this verse. Romans 12, verse 3. And if you can, see if you can memorize this. So Paul is writing, because of the privilege and authority God has given me. He knows who he is. He knows where he's come from. And he knows he has the authority to write this. And so he says, because of this, I give each of you a warning. And this is a warning about life and death. It's an important warning. And it is, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves. Measuring yourself by the faith God has given us all. Paul, the spokesman here, under the inspiration of God, gives us a warning. Take heed. And literally, this is what he's saying. Don't overthink what you think about yourself or what you think others think about you. You got it? Don't overthink. Overthinkers in the room? Overthinkers? What will they think? What will they think? What do I think? And the trouble is, once I start thinking about what I think, I don't even know what I think anymore. Because I just go round and round in circles. Has that happened to you? I don't even know where I started. So don't overthink what you think. But think in a sober thinking way. Now what does that mean? In one way, we can go back to the teachings of Jesus from the Matthew passages from our rebel Jesus who said, the summary of everything I want you to do is to love God with all of your heart, mind, soul and strength and to love others. But he didn't stop there. Can you remember what else the text says? Love others as you love yourselves. And a sober estimate of ourselves is learning to love ourselves. It's pretty important. Loving our neighbours, loving God as we love ourselves. And possibly, sitting in the room now, there's people saying, I don't like who I am. I've been through stages where I really hated who I was. I had to put on a, a mask and pretend, and I didn't like me. And I had to learn 
how to like me and to love myself well. And that's the journey we're going on tonight because I think true humility starts there. So another little verse from Paul, good old Paul, he wrote this in Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, and he says, just this, don't be selfish. Try not to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests only, but take an interest in others. And I can't do that if I haven't got a sober estimate of who I am. So let's look about how do I think in a sober way. It's got nothing to do with being drunk or drinking. Sober means a sensible, sane way that is true. I've got three stories that hopefully will show us how I can love myself or loving myself well in a healthy way. Three little stories. I want you to tell me from these stories, and they've all been part of my life. They're not my stories about me, although I'm involved in two of them. Uh, one was one that I've read just in the, couple of, in the last couple of weeks that was in my devotional reading, and I think it's been on Facebook since. The story of a boy on a plane who sat next to a couple. And they, the boy was 16, and he was at the window seat, and then there was this couple there. By God's appointment, they were all musicians, but that's beside the point. Uh, it turned out that that worked out well. But the boy started to get a little bit agitated and freaked out because it was quite a difficult flight. <laughs> you know how the flight plane goes, and it goes like that? You've been in them like that? And, and you're sitting there and everyone goes, ah! And uh, you hold the seat and uh, wonder what's going to happen next. Well, he turned to these people, this couple, and he said, excuse me, can I talk to you? I need to talk to you. I need you to talk to me. I suffer from anxiety. And this is the first time I've ever been on a plane and I'm by myself. And this is my first trip. Do you think we can talk together? And the couple next to them said, for the next 90 minutes, you're our best friend. Isn't that beautiful? The next story is about a young woman that I met in Singapore many, many years ago, and she came to Brisbane to study at a theological college there. And during the Christmas break, she came down here and uh, visited, and she said, while I'm there, will you tutor me? She said, God helped me through three exams, and praise God, I passed. God helped me, but I failed one. And I need you to tutor me. What do you make of that story? The third story. I also, once upon a time, had to evaluate students teaching or preaching. Teaching or preaching. And there was this little thing that you used to have to tick boxes and all this kind of stuff. And they had to listen. And one, one of the students, came, you know, they, they come in fear and trembling. And it's a really horrible thing to do. You know, don't you? Yeah, you've done that. <laughs> Good on you, Sam. He, I did it to Sam. It's all right. Um, and they, they come, and I, I said to this person, you did a really good job. The student said, it wasn't me. It was God. 
Which of the three stories demonstrates humility? I want to suggest that at certain stages we've used language like that. I want to suggest that the 16-year-old knew himself well. He knew to ask for help, and that took courage. That is a picture of knowing yourself, loving yourself, and asking for help. I could give you another story from tonight. I saw the Ferguson girls up here singing, and uh, I just said, do you think if I had been born a Ferguson, I would be able to sing? <laughs> well, Bronte said, I could teach you to sing, because everyone can sing. Bronte knew she had a gift, and she knew that she could teach me. That is true humility. Is that right? Thank you, Bronte. I'm not going to take lessons, so it's all right. <laughs> I listen for these stories because how people talk tells me a lot about how well they know themselves and where true humility comes from. If I know myself well, I don't need to compare or compete, and that will make me more humble. If I know myself well, I don't have to be little or exaggerate. I don't have to know, oh, sorry, I will know what I can do. I can teach you to sing, okay? And I know what I'm not good at. I will not be able to teach you to sing. That, that's an exaggerated story, but you get the point? We're not, we're, it's not a boast when someone says, I can teach you to do this. I know how to do it. I will know what I mean when I say, I can't do this. I will know whether I'm saying, I can't because I don't want to, or I can't because I don't know how. And if I can say, I can't, but I don't know how, will you help me even if it means I will fail? That is what it means to know yourself well and to love yourself well. The person who loves themselves well will try out new things, even if they don't go well, and they will try again. I have a friend who every time something doesn't work, she says, I'm never doing that again. I used to advise students. I said, up until the age 35 at least, try everything. Try everything, because you really don't know what you can do well. Okay, You start to develop. And you might fail miserably the first time you do it, or the tenth time you do it. But each time, there'll be some time when you think, no, I shouldn't do that. But there will be times when you'll surprise yourself with what God can do in you and bring out as you learn and cooperate with him. The other thing that you will do well if you know yourself well is that you will not start putting people down, okay? You won't gang up on others. You won't gossip about them. And you won't gaslight others. Have you heard that phrase, gaslighting? It's really popular now, gaslighting. I didn't have a clue what it meant, but everyone was using it. It was a bit like what Ben was talking about this morning. So I looked up 
and research because in the world today, people are using this word gaslighting, and it comes from a very old film, but really it is when you are trying to put others down and make them feel bad about themselves so that you can feel better about yourself, okay? And it's an emotional thing, so that the person goes away from you doubting whether they know themselves well or not, okay? And when that happens from teachers and politicians and people in authority, from parents, from our friends, it means that we are left with a very damaged self that we begin to hate and doubt. So I just put a list of what it sounds like when we say to someone, you're overreact overreacting. I've said that to someone often. You need help. You're upset about nothing. Just calm down. Why are you so defensive? It's your fault. You twist things. You're so sensitive. I used that one with one of my friends for years. And I have to learn now not to say that because that's who she is. I have to learn to accept that. And it doesn't help her if I keep saying it. You got it? It's always something with you. You're so dramatic. You must be confused again. Now, sometimes it's the way we say it, but they're the kinds of things that happen in our everyday, ordinary life that cause us to help others develop hatred of themselves in their own lives because they get confused about who they are because we're not accepting and we're not listening. Gaslighting, look it up. A very old film and a very popular saying. If I love myself well, I will learn to listen. You got that one? If I love myself well, I will listen to the significant others in my life for their wisdom and input. But I'll also be listening to hear whether these people are putting me down, trying to put me down, trying to make me change my mind, or giving me the courage to be the person Jesus wants me to be. If I love myself well, I will listen. I will keep reaching out and befriend others because I will learn to love my neighbor as I love myself. I'll reach out. I'll see that person that's by themselves. I'll chat to them. I wish I could tell you the thousands of stories. No, not thousands, that's an exaggeration. The many stories that happen to me when I'm in Sydney, when I'm traveling on the train. Because you see, people on the train in Sydney, they have their, they're like this. Well, I'm waiting for conversations. And if you sit in certain places, you will always get a conversation. And it's great, great. And how many lonely people they are yeah, anyhow, that's a side story. But there's people there who want us to befriend them. And we can befriend just by listening, reaching out, and forgetting about ourselves, and reaching out to the other. Loving myself will have give me the courage to speak the truth. Like the boy in the plane. I suffer from anxiety. i not travelled in the plane before. Will you speak to me? Will you talk to me? I will have the courage to ask for help. I will, and this is why I love what, what you said, Renee, I will remember that I belong to Jesus. I will remember that he lives within me. 
I will remember where I come from, where I'm going. So humility is that sober estimate of yourself. You've got what a sober estimate is now? Learning to love yourself well, to accept, to be able to say, yep, I can do that. Or, yes, I'd like to do that, but I may need a bit of help. Or, no, you should never really ask me to do that. <laughs> but don't go there yet, you're too young to start doing that. So let's just talk a little bit about humility because I want to talk, look at Jesus and humility. Um, Renee's already introduced us to a bit of a thought. And Jesus' followers introduced humility or Jesus introduced humility into the world in a totally different way. He turned it right upside down. See, in the time when Jesus lived, and that's why we've got Roman columns here today. We're doing Romans, okay? The Roman You've got it? I just saw it. Aha! Very good. I'm glad I made sense. Okay, good. So, in his day, humility meant know your place and don't dare move from it. So, if you were the servant... You were the servant and you deferred and you didn't try to enter the world of someone who was not a servant. And that was a very hierarchical thing. Know your place and stay there. And in some countries today, that's still very similar. Know your place and stay there. When I go to China, they always want to know how old I am. Do you know why? They don't have to worry too much now. Because if I'm older, they have to respect me. And if I'm older and I get on the bus, they've got to give me a seat. So they want to know how old I am. doesn't pay to tell lies, by the way. So there's different cultures, have different ways. But Jesus changed that. He said it's not something about trying to push yourself and go up and up and get yourself better and better and have status and position and finance and power and education and everything else that goes with it. It's not about that at all. No. So I'm going to look at Jesus and look at the downward mobility of Jesus. You've got it? We talk about the upward mobility. Jesus had a downward mobility. Here it is from the scriptures from Philippians. Though he, Jesus, was God, you got that? He's God. Is there anything God can't do? No, he's God. Jesus is God. He didn't think equality with God was something that he had to keep going around. Look at me, look at me, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, he would say. He didn't have to grasp it, it says. It was not something he had to cling to, hold on to. He could lay it aside. Now, what on earth did that mean? It meant that when Jesus, God himself, came to earth as a baby, he gave up knowing everything. He gave up being all-powerful. He gave up all of those glorious qualities that would have made it impossible for him to be on this earth. He took he gave it away. He said it. He didn't hang on to it. Instead, he gave up the divine privilege. Divine privilege. And he took a humble position. So humble that he entered the world in a baby in our messy world. In a messy stable with young people 
who live probably in some of the poorer sections of earth. God became dirty. Okay? In our messy world. And if you had of pinch Jesus, it would hurt because he took on flesh. If he had have fallen over, and I'm sure he did, when he was learning to walk, because he had to learn to read, walk, talk, he had to do all that. I'm sure he cried. He was just like us. He had birthdays, 1, 2, 5, 9, 16, 20, 30. He had very few after that. He was just like us, purely human, but there was one difference. He learned obedience. He did not sin. He didn't ever sin. So he took upon himself the form of a slave. And it uses the Greek word there, a messy lowest form of slave. And a human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God. Even obedience to die as a criminal on a cross. This is our God. Remember the quote that I got from Steve? Humility is looking at Jesus. Knowing what he has done for us. This God, our God, became one of us so that we could become one with him. He became like us so that we could become like him. So why am I telling you this? I want you to learn to love yourself well so that you can love others. I want words to come out of your mouth that reflect the God who lives within you. I want you to know who loves you, who accepts you, who gave his life for you, who loves you, the one who lives inside so that you know Stay humble. Stay humble. You know, I talked about that friend that comes along, and I'm not really sure until a few days later or a bit longer time, when suddenly pride and arrogance start to come out of my thinking and mouth and actions. Those moments, I need to keep looking at Jesus again at that passage. I have learned that passage off by heart. I recite that passage to myself. And usually it undoes, causes me to be undone. Keep looking at Jesus. Know where your security is. Know your identity. Look out for the unwelcomed, the uninvited enemy who makes itself too much at home in your life. I called it my friend. It's not really. It's the enemy who robs me of humility. Ask the question, three questions. Am I loving God with all of me? Am I loving my neighbor? Am I loving myself well? If you need help, you talk to your leaders. Come and have a chat. Do not go through life hating yourself. deepest desire for each one of you is that you would learn to love yourself well to know God your maker 
know that he accepts you, gives you security and identity so that you don't have to go through this world struggling, but you can go through with assurance, with courage, conviction, and grow in love. Lord, I pray that this would be true of each of us in this room. May we know your mercy and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.